Inside, of course. <laughs> Welcome back, Said. As always, good to see you again, man. And um, yeah, here we go. Today we have the guys from Why We Do What We Do, the podcast. They have their own podcast, but they love diving deep into different topics, like would a head transplant work? And you feel yourself being watched. Why do we dream? I heard this one. <laughs> yeah. Board games and addicted to social media. Yep, and much more and more and more. You can check out their podcast on um, their site. Um, yep, and uh, that's it. Is there anything? Um, uh, welcome welcome to the show, Shane and Scott. Thank and you. can you tell us a little bit yeah. about how you guys got started? How did this podcast come together? Yeah, I'll start this because I actually tried to put together a podcast a long time ago. It was a very short-lived one that I did with a friend of mine named Val Saini, who's now got his doctorate degree also. He's up in Toronto, I believe. And uh, it was called um, Behavior Talk. And I think we maybe did four or five episodes and then just kind of gave up on it, which is pretty par for the course for most of them. And I wanted to start another podcast that I, w- I wanted to call Nature and Nurture. And it was essentially everything I wanted to, that we have done with why we do what we do. And I... I tried to do this sort of heroic effort, one man, I can do everything sort of to this. And that just did not work. And uh, a friend of mine, Ryan O'Donnell, he came to me eventually and said, I see why you want to do this. This is you know, a good medium for this. What do we need to do to make this happen? And so he really helped me get the ball rolling. And so um, I, I told him we can't launch until we have 10 episodes recorded, edited, and ready to go. And so we started recording early in 2017. And by the time we had 10 locked and loaded and said, this is what we're committing to for the show. We're going to release an episode every week, come hell or high water. And, uh, and that's what we did basically is he, he helped me build a lot of the infrastructure and we got started. And um, for a long time, it was just, uh, just Ryan and I. And then Miranda joined, not you know, a little ways down the road. She had life time, went to go do those. And uh, Shane started jumping to take the lead on some things. And I believe that Shane came on with the very first one was with George Sagai, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was the first one. That was, I think, about episode 71. So awesome. All right. Cool. And Shane, how did you join the, the team? <laughs> so it's actually a funny story. Like the, the, the roundabout way I got here was that um, at the time that I well, actually, it was a few years before the podcast even came around. Um, there was kind of a group of behaviorists that were getting together and kind of just sharing knowledge, sharing information, and just kind of having these like monthly chats. And I had joined up with them. It was made up of like you know folks like Scott and Ryan and a few other a few other of our colleagues. And uh, so we got together. And they would have these discussions and get really theoretical about stuff. And then life got in the way for me and I couldn't continue with them. So uh, a couple of years go by, the, the group has changed a little bit. And I reach out to Ryan and say, hey, I'm interested in getting involved with this. What can I do? Uh, and they had really just kind of started the podcast or they were getting ready to. And I just kind of jumped in and started working on a couple of show notes here and there, uh, worked on the uh, the interviews themselves, like I worked with the George Shigai interview, the Tyra Sellers interview, um, and then just kind of like eased in. I don't know how I ended up really <laughs> as like a primary person, maybe consistency. I don't know, but, <laughs> you know, um, so I ended up here. And, you know, I think part of it was um, just, you know, uh, Scott and I seem to, I feel like I have a pretty good rapport at works. And um, the, the format of the show has changed a little bit. And um, it's been really, it's been an interesting ride for the last like, hundred episodes or so um that we've uh-huh. been mm-hmm. involved so it's been really cool all right all right uh respect um i know both you guys come from like a behavioral background i know i don't know if you guys know this but i'm a behavioral therapist myself i've had oh, cool. we've had different behavioral therapists on the show bcbas right. and whatnot so um yeah so when you guys are not doing this podcast what is like the main thing you do Ooh, great question. Um, yeah, so I largely got my start in the sort of autism world, early intervention, then got into severe behavior. But my passion, actually, and the reason that I got into behavior analysis had always had to do with teaching. And so once I moved back to Reno after grad school, I uh, taught some 
college courses, things like Psych 101. I got to teach a couple of behavior analysis courses here and there. I weirdly had to teach a gender and sexuality class. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was like, I, I want to acknowledge right when we start that yes, I am a white guy and that I don't have a, very, about that class. a lot of experience <laughs> like speaking from the perspective of people who are not me. So, um, but anyway, uh, largely what I do now to make my answer a lot shorter is that I, um, I was very interested in precision teaching. And so I got started working at a company called Fit Learning, um, which now has about 35 affiliate sites around the world. And so mm -hmm. that's, I've been doing it for the last six years. Oh, I see. All right, cool. And Shane? Yeah. And so I, um, my primary role is I work for an organization called Positive Behavior Supports. And so um, I am the primary, I'm in charge of all the training systems that are, that are at the organization. Um, so a lot of my work is helping work within a system to um, develop effective trainings, develop effective instruction, um, make sure that CEs and like staff trainings go out, clinical trainings, all that fun stuff, um, and work on some projects, some, some projects within that, um, supervision projects, um, student projects that are um, designed to help kind of grow folks into their behavior analyst roles, um, which is a, a stark contrast from where I started. I started working with like crisis management uh, folks in really intense situations and sex offenders. So that's my primary experience. So kind of come from that work in this really safe space where I'm doing training now and then also teach at a couple of universities um, right now and teaching uh, uh, master's level, graduate level courses. So um, Shane, <laughs> yeah. Not, so yeah, so crisis prevention. So what were you like when someone was like, I don't know, triggered or something, you'd come and help calm them down? Yeah. So I, um, the, the funny thing was when I started in, in the work that I do, I got hired because I could take a punch. Like legitimately, <laughs> that was all I needed on my resume. Yeah, I was like, oh, you can get hit by this guy and not die. So that's cool. So like I got, so that's I got hired because I'm, because I'm a big guy myself. Um, and the, the first learner that I worked with was about six foot five, six foot four, six foot five yeah. and about mm -hmm. um, 350 pounds at the time. Yes. And you can so, take a punch. <laughs> yeah, that, and I'm yeah. like, I'm like, <laughs> I could stand behind him and you wouldn't see me, but I'm like six three. So like, I'm still like a big dude and you can see me behind this guy. And so I got hired for that. And a lot of it was not even just crisis management when things go wrong, but being able to work with those learners that nobody wanted to work with because mm -hmm. they were so dangerous. And so um, that's the, that's the crew that I tend to, to run with the, uh, you know, I the see. folks that have the really intense problem behavior that injure people, injure themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, really severe hospitalizations, police involvement, like that, that level that like nobody really talks about in special needs. Um, everybody talks about like working with like the younger kids and doing that stuff. And that's cool and important and necessary. I work on the other end, which is like the 35 year old who is burning the whiskers off his cat or, um, you know, yeah. the, the 60 year old who's in a nursing home, who's beating up all the nurses. Like that's, those are the folks that I work with. So, um, and specialize working with. Mm. And what do you do when someone in a nursing home is beating up all the nurses or burning up the cat whiskers? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a wild ride, man. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's hard to say, like a lot of it's just figuring out why they're doing what they're doing and mm -hmm. just working around that. I mean, every learner that we work with is so uniquely different. And I think that's one thing that's really a lot of fun about what we do. Um, I just, when you work in behaviorism in general, just understanding the context in which the behavior occurs. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, in Scott and I, when we kind of do the podcast, that's a lot of what we take is like, we take this concept and this principle and go like, what is the mechanism by which this occurs? What is the context by which this occurs? And we, the, the same process for understanding the world is the same that you would use for like treating somebody who has a severe eye gouging behavior or something like that. Um, or even just a learning deficit, learning how to like learn a new skill. Like all of that is still all about the context by which this thing occurs. So um, yeah. So burning mm -hmm. somebody's like cat's whiskers off, hide the lighters. That's where we start. <laughs> and then, and then we go from there, you know, like, I mean, it's, 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 it becomes a pretty complex mm -hmm. treatment package, but I yeah, it, it's, mm -hmm. um, it's unique. It's, it's really interesting. Amazing. All right. Um, that's pretty cool. I, I like how you say like there's context to like behavior, but also you, your whole podcast is that there are some things that underlie all of human behavior, right? <laughs> so I want to ask you guys, what's the hardest yeah, podcast episode you guys had to put together? Oh man, we've done so many at this point. I know, yeah, but like, what's, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, is there like, um, or like, what's your favorite one that you researched and which one was like the one you hated to research? Um, let's see here. My favorite ones are the ones that are really easy. <laughs> <laughs> 
mostly. <laughs> I mean, for, for obvious <laughs> reasons, but also because like it, you usually feel easy to me because it's something I know a lot about. And so mm -hmm. I don't feel like I have to, I feel like I, I feel confident, I guess, in what, what I get to say, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but the ones, the ones that are the hardest to put together are the ones that are like way outside my field of expertise where it's sort of like, you know, we can't, we can't, can't speak as experts. We're going to tell you what we, um, what we can find by, you know, diving into the history of this and then interpret it as best we can from the behavior analytic worldview. And I wish I had a great answer for you. The, I, I didn't actually lead the research on the syphilis ones, but I felt like those ones were kind of a, a unique step outside of uh, what we've done recently. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. I, I'm really so, stuck on just anything that we've come out in the last couple of months. I see. Well, I, see. I think, I think what, what is interesting and something that I don't think that we, um, formally tackle but something that kind of comes up pretty naturally and organically in our discussions is that you know if we are going to approach this topic how are we going to approach this topic and mm -hmm. i feel like doing the research around the topic is pretty straightforward but understanding how we're going to get there is kind of a unique process so uh, you know we recently put out the anti-racist episode mm -hmm. uh anti-racism episode and that one was um easy because we didn't have to do anything for it, <laughs> you know, but it was difficult because we wanted to make sure the timing was right, making sure mm -hmm. we had the right folks, right? making sure that we tackled it in a sensitive way that was meaningful. And I think those, those ones are simultaneously the easiest and the hardest because the response effort is pretty low, but the, 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 the risk or the, um, the outcomes are pretty great. <clears throat> um, but the topic, I just wanted to ask, uh, what, what was your main focus on it? Like when you were, when you wanted to set it up? For the podcast in general, or for that episode, the anti-racism yeah. episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the anti-racism. Yeah. Sorry, can you answer your question one more time? Okay, so for the anti-racism episode, uh, what was your main focus when you wanted to deliver your your topic? Gotcha. Um, yeah, I actually I didn't want uh, the what's easier to speak to is what I didn't want to have happen, and what I didn't want to have happen is have a couple of white guys control the narrative. And so, um, as I actually said on that episode, um, I, I don't, I don't want to be the first or last voice that you hear. I wanted the two guests that we had who were African-Americans, that they opened the conversation, they closed the conversation, which means that we took all of our voices out of the intro, we took our voices out of the credits, and we let them uh, have the floor and control the narrative. And I, I volunteered to step back and not do any, any voice at all on the episode, but they said, well, we want you to sort of be there available you know and if you're in there if you feel like we've gone way off topic or anything like that and and I said oh, that's that's fine like if you're comfortable if you're more comfortable having me there then I'll be there but um, I really wanted them to control the platform and mm -hmm. so um, I essentially reached out and uh, to a couple of behavior analysts um, I reached out to Jalisa and she reached out to Mawuli and they uh, when we met to discuss doing the episode, I just sort of said, like, I, like, I don't want to tell you what to do. I don't want to tell you how to derive this. Um, like, they, we worked together on the notes, and I basically said, here are some topics I think it'd be really helpful if you talked to these particular issues. And, you know, they sort of did their own. And, um, and that was really the impetus there is I was, I really just wanted to allow them to have their voice be heard without me controlling any aspect of that conversation mm -hmm. and so that was largely the the position i took going into that mm -hmm. and um i'm just ask why are people racist <laughs> <laughs> oh learning histories mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> most yeah i mean a lot of it mm -hmm. it's it's you know, it's, it's, it's a combination of things, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's learning history. It's, it's the culture in which they, they thrive and learn and experience the world. I mean, it just, nobody's born racist at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we, when you hear yeah. the discussion in psychology of nature versus nurture and all that, it's like, like, you know, behavior, we, we understand now about the world that nature and nurture simultaneously work to shape behavior, but uh, racism is not something that's genetic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, and they, they describe fairly well in the episode um, that a lot of it does just come from ignorance, essentially in the, the places and where they grow up, where they hear these things or a lack of empathy. Um, and there's a clear distinction of us versus them, that that seems to be where a lot of it starts. And it becomes these little implicit things they don't necessarily notice or think about where it's like when you 
else as a caricature color, that's a racist thing to do, even if you don't think you're being racist. Uh, when you hold people to a different standard because of their skin color, uh, that that's a racist thing to do. And so it's, it's those kind of things that um, a lot of people don't even acknowledge are happening that, uh, that seems to be just a lack of information about it and a lack of um, exposure. And that was actually mm -hmm. one important thing they said is that a lot of these people are really insulated from being mm -hmm. around um, these other, other types of people that come from different cultures and backgrounds and of the different skin color is they don't get to see them as humans. They see them as the other because they're not around them. They don't inter interact with them. And that's what segregation has always led to as an us versus them. So I, that, that seems to be, I think, one of the, the most important factors among, as Shane said, if you grow up in a, in a context where there's like racist epithets and things like that are constantly being spouted, then it's really hard to get away from something like that. I see. Yeah. And it's like, at the end of the day, it's like groups, people associate themselves with their groups. They grew up in this area and this, all their friends are talking this way and they have this mentality. So they just adopt <laughs> instead of thinking on their own. Um, why do we do that? <laughs> why do we have teams? Why do we like, why do we fight over not just like whatever politics or society, but also like sports football, <laughs> right? Like why do people like get, if I'm a Chelsea fan, why would I get mad at a Manchester United fan? <laughs> or whatever mm -hmm. that's great yeah yeah i'll jump in on that so um my the the first thing is that for whatever reason we're very social animals and i think that there's probably a very clear link through uh, evolutionary history to look at in the context of survival we're one of those species that does better when it works together um, and there's uh, quite a number, I think a, a fairly large number of species are tend to be somewhat social and they, they travel in groups and herds and that sort of thing. And um, that allows them to be pretty successful. Um, although a lot of people like to uh, speak to us being omnivorous, um, the vast majority of the history of humans is like they were opportunists more than anything. And what that meant is that we, the, if the more we work together, the more successful we were at at finding food and shelter and, and protecting one another, you know? And so I think that essentially what has happened is that um, for however we can speak to this, that I don't fully understand, but there is something reinforcing about uh, proximity with others. And so what happens though, is that once you get beyond a small bubble, then it's hard to include others in that, mm -hmm. uh, that size and you can't like it can grow out, but then people who are not part of that group, that's already sort of self-insulated. Uh, those are no, those are now no longer part of the others that you want to be close to. And so there seems to be something in this where um, teams are sort of just these little micro societies that we belong to. And we often belong to a lot of different ones. And sometimes they overlap and sometimes they don't. Um, but that seems to be uh, the fact that for whatever reason, humans are reinforced by having a, a sort of close-knit group of people that they, um, that they protect and that protect them. And I still think, you know, in, in that regard, my, the hardest thing to discuss around that is I'm still not sure if I'm supposed to cheer for Chelsea or Manchester United. <laughs> I still have not figured that, mm -hmm. that out yet. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know which team I'm supposed to be on. You're not that. supposed to know. You just, you just know. <laughs> it's like you okay. watch this team and you like him and that's it. I don't know. <laughs> it's a deficit in my learning, I guess. Like, I, just, I, just, I don't have that awareness. I can't do it. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> as you can tell all the comedy in our show comes from shane <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing yeah it's timing it's all timing <laughs> um yeah that that is pretty interesting how like i don't know why i like manchester united <laughs> i just like grew up <laughs> and like i like david beckham kicking the ball i thought that was pretty cool and you so gotta I bend it like with it. as far as i understand <laughs> exactly exactly you just gotta <laughs> stick with it but i feel like nowadays groups um well, nowadays, groups can't really interfere just because we're all, like, separated. Everyone's in home, <laughs> on their computers, on their phones and whatnot. So I feel like now more than ever, more in-grouping is happening. We're not mixing with different kinds of people. Why that happen? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the Internet was, um, is a very interesting tool uh, because it made everybody loud really loud a thousand times louder than they had ever been before they could reach all over the place in the world and the benefit of that is that it could allow for a ton more mixing of ideas and contact with different people it could also expand what would be a very niche group of people who wouldn't really find each other 
who have very bizarre off-color wrong ideas to be very loud together and to find one another so that they build their own little echo chambers. And so it allowed the, the voices of people who are completely wrong about things that normally, you know, if you were to, to go to the grocery store and someone comes up and they're like, did you know that reptiles rule our country? <laughs> They'd be like, whoa. Um, <laughs> Hi, everybody. Here's a card of my friend Shane. He deals with uh, crisis management. <laughs> he's he's going to help you out. But now that person, they don't, you know, they just go online and they find 10 other people like them uh, who are willing to listen and or who believe it already. And then they all just reinforce one another's behavior when it comes to these things. Mm -hmm. And so um, you're right. The, the fact that we've gone inside has actually probably made the problem worse. And I think with the rapid rise of the QAnon movement in the United States as an example of really insane uh, conspiracy theories, like right up there with flat earthers. Um, mm -hmm. that, I'm, I'm not too familiar. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. That that's okay. What? <laughs> it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Yeah, let's suffice it to say it is some of the most batshit crazy conspiracy theories I've ever heard in my life. And mm -hmm. I can't. It makes me sad for the human race that anybody would sink that deep into something that insane. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a group of folks who are, are connecting lines to things that don't exist. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you know, you'll have some, something will happen. Some grain of truth will happen somewhere. And then it gets linked to this person and gets linked to this person and gets linked to these things. And these weird synchronicities happen. And, you know, I was not too long ago, I was listening to a podcast, like the birth of conspiracy theorism really started with JFK like really started like in modern times, started with like the assassination of JFK because there's mm -hmm. all these theories and like in like mm -hmm. within months of that assassination, all of a sudden there's books on speculation and, and books that are published as truth and, and articles that are published as truth. And so now people are having a hard time deciphering what's true and what's not. And people are making these links about things and they make sense for folks. And it has just turned into this like, just this mess of information that people cannot untangle. And that's, you know, and I think that's a big part of like what we try to do on the podcast is like a lot of times in the science community, there is a mess of information that people struggle to untangle. And we try to take the time to untangle those things and give people like, here's what we know about the universe. And here's what we don't know. I mean, we've done, we've done shows where we've done the entire episode and we go, it's still inconclusive. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've had several episodes that have been like that. That's like, what's the truth? We don't know. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the most important parts of like, when we start digging into information in general and the information age is how do you untangle all that? How do you get to the bottom of it? How do you critically analyze data and information in a way that makes sense? And how do you get it to people who can't do that? And um, it's scary because like Scott said, like people are louder and voices that probably don't need megaphones have them. Wow. <laughs> I mean, wow. Um, that's, yeah. <laughs> I just like, out of all of that, I'd be like, why do we do this? Why do we do that? Just, <laughs> you guys go about your whole lives like, hey, this person's brushing his teeth. Why do we do that? Um, here's a podcast. How do you guys decide <laughs> what to talk about? Ooh, um, so uh, I have a team of about four people who write for the show. Um, Shane and I uh, do quite a bit. And then um, Alan Kinsella um, writes probably more than any of us. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then Kyle Sturry, who has contributed to a number of episodes and, um, and had some live things happen, but he's coming back as well. And so uh, that's the, there's three people who write a lot right now. And then um, four total who have, who contribute on a semi-regular basis to shows. And um, sometimes people will just pitch ideas, but like, how about we do an idea uh, topic about this? I think the majority of the time, it's probably me um, where I will just say, this is something I want to talk about. And then I just get the ball rolling on it. And I get my ideas from listening to other podcasts, from listening to the news or even things where I'm just reading something. I'm like, that would be a fun uh, thing to tackle. And uh, a lot of times it's where I think it's unique is I tend to pick apart something that's not really the main point someone else is making, but is sort of ancillary to what they talk about. So I was watching uh, the recent conventions that are going on in the, in the United States around the mm -hmm. presidential um, election coming up and uh, a lot of people throwing around terms that get used a lot. And one that stuck out to me was this idea of common sense. And it actually came up recently <laughs> on another episode. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know, 
So I just started a set of notes on common sense. Um, and uh, another, another way that we come about them is we sometimes do uh, themes. Uh, so for example, uh, right now in October, we like to do sort of spooky theme topics. Uh, last year we did five episodes that was like zombie bugs, uh, why we like horror movies, the sleep paralysis, the one that was like demon sitting on your chest thing. Um, uh, lycanthropy. Lycanthropy, yeah, thank you. That was the first one. And then I forget the last one was. Or I don't know, I'm, I'm missing one. But anyway, uh, so we're planning to do those themed episodes. And so we're trying to think like sort of horror, creepy themed. Um, I thought about covering politics again for that. <laughs> that Ooh, spooky. <laughs> Spook- <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, because yeah. Mm-hmm. It's we always come up with something like to, sometimes we'll want to interview somebody and like, hey, we really want to touch on this topic, but we just don't have nearly enough about this. And we want to hear from somebody, especially like what's great about behavior analysis is most of the people that you want to talk to are accessible. You know, it's like yeah. it's very much so like a um, like a I want to I, I don't want to I liken it to punk rock a lot where it's like it's a small scene of group. It's a small group of people. It's a small like uh, like like common uh, community that you can reach out to this person and be like, Hey, I know that you do this thing and that you're kind of the godfather of this part of the science. Will you come talk to us? And Uh, most of the time they're like, yeah, sure. sure. I mean, that's what happened with George Sagai. Like the guy helped create the positive behavior intervention, like supports that are used across the nation in schools. I mean, it is one of the most influential school-based interventions that you can find. And he was like, yeah, we'll talk. It was like, (laughs) great. Like it was so easy to get a hold of him. So um, you know, sometimes it's like, we want to talk about this thing. This person knows it. Let's get their voice on here. Sometimes it's like, I don't know anybody who's an expert in mad cow disease, but this is kind of a bizarre thing. Let's talk about it. Um, and prions, so, that was the other one. Prions. Yeah. So, um, you know, like when I, usually when I pick a topic, it's something like, I don't know enough about this. So I want to do the research to learn a little bit more and kind of dig into it. Um, so, and sometimes I'll just read something. It's like, that's weird. Let's, let's look at it. So that's a lot of the thought process. It's not, always planned um so we have no idea really what the next few episodes are until we decide what they are mm. yeah and a, a mm-hmm. decent handful of them do come from when we're researching a topic for an episode just reading things online and i'll be like oh we should talk about this someday or just in conversation while we're recording shane will say something really clever and i'll say oh we should do an episode on that and then it gets added to the list and the list is miles long now <laughs> yeah we've had this list for three years now and it's been like i don't think it's ever gotten smaller no it's only gotten larger <laughs> I wanted to ask, uh, what's your main source that you use to get your information for your podcast? Oh, all over the place. Um, I always start with a quick Google search. The Google search will usually get me on a few rabbit holes that I can, I can go down. Um, (laughs) I always, I always try and do a literature search, um, sometimes through Google scholar, sometimes through some of the actual, like, um, the EBSCO or PsychInfo or whatever, um, servers that there are. And uh, so I'll try and get some peer reviewed literature in there. I'll, I'll go, you know, check out some of the main sources like uh, psychology today often has a few good blog posts on it that are little get me you know, in the right direction. Um, if it's some particularly relevant to like pop culture, then I can usually find a few news articles on it. And I always mm-hmm. like those because they usually have a ton of detail in a short amount of time. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, for me, it, it's all over the place. And then I like to read a lot. So oftentimes for most episodes, I'll usually pull down a book or two and, and look and say like, what did Skinner have to say about this? What did Cantor have to say about this? Uh, <laughs> what did Skinner what did, uh, have to say about this? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll see what I can find by digging through some of my old books. That's, that's yeah. for me at least. Thank, thankfully Skinner has said a lot about a lot of things. So like <laughs> yes. pretty much anything, any topic you can think of that has to do with human behavior, Skinner's got something to say about it. So, Amazing. um, mm-hmm. you know, in my, Mine, a lot of what I do too is like we try to, I try to pull stuff from, from peer reviewed sources, peer reviewed literature. I try not to pull anything from um, anything that, like if I do find a thread somewhere, I try to pull that thread until I can get to some science and research behind it. I never, I'll never go on Wikipedia and be like, here's the thing about what you need to know. Like it's always like if I find something on Wikipedia, I'll go, okay, I want to confirm this. Where can I confirm this from some scientific backing, some person? Um, there are a lot of books. I read a lot too. So I pull a lot of stuff from books and manuals. Um, I try to pull sources too from um, folks that are, that are in it and that are living it. So like we just did a whole uh, episode on protesting. We just recorded that and how to safely protest. And so we pulled information from like Amnesty International and these larger organizations that are doing this and give safety tips and are, are known for making sure that they keep their folks safe. So um, it really depends on the topic. Um, and really depends on what we can get our hands on. You know, I mean, 
thankfully like the, the two of us have access to like university libraries and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So we can pull a lot of research on that stuff. But um, yeah, it's always, it's always really interesting to see where the sources come from. Yeah. Um, yeah. You guys are both, we both have PhDs. You both have respectable jobs. Um, why, <laughs> why do you do this? And no one's forcing you guys to read. No one's forcing you to make a podcast. Um, why do you read and why uh, do you do what you do? <laughs> yeah, no one paying us to do this. So. <laughs> there's, there's no incentive on either end. <laughs> um, yeah, what is the payment? What is the payout? You know, for me, um, this is a lot of fun. And so this is something that's sort of, uh, in a way, self-stimulatory, where I sort of get enjoyment out of doing these. I also, um, I really like teaching and learning things. And those are pretty inherently linked. And there's something um, really reinforcing for me about figuring things out. And I think that honestly is like, I, I grew up in a pretty safe open space where I could just sort of mess with stuff and break it and put it back together and figure things out. Um, and I, and I was one of those like little camps where you do little computer camps or you like build stuff. And, and I had a ton of Legos when I was younger and Shane still does. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I was always really interested in just like figuring things out. And I also feel like when I started teaching at the university, I got pretty good at explaining things in a way that was easy for people who didn't have the same background that I did to understand at least what I was talking about in that context. And so um, that also became uh, it was reinforcing to feel like I was doing a good job at that. And so I think that uh, for me, a lot of the incentive is that I enjoy people building out and then turn it around and say it in such a way that someone else should be able to pick it up and use that information. Um, and I think also part of this is that I feel that because I've made this commitment, I need to stick to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. yeah. I think, and I think, I think to that note, like the idea of teaching, like, you know, I, one thing I've learned is, is working in the field, you can make a pretty big impact with folks that you work with on an individual basis. You can work really well with, with individual learners. Um, but that impact is only going to reach so far. So like, you know, for me, it's, it's a, a matter of like, if I can give somebody some tool, some information, something that is, um, effective and useful and helpful for them, then that's a larger impact that you can reach. Like you can reach to more folks. And if we have the ability to do it, um, I'm very much so, I know it sounds goofy and it sounds cliche, but that idea of, of Peter Parker, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. I believe in the idea that like we have the ability to communicate. Yeah. We have the ability. I, I think it's great. I yeah. Think it's great. <laughs> with great but power idea, comes great responsibility. <laughs> that's it. So I think of it like this, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate and privileged enough to have been able to get an education, to be able to operate <laughs> in a space that I can communicate, to be able to have um, some kind of personality to be able to communicate <laughs> with people. Um, and, and, you know, this idea of like, like if I have this, I should use it for something. I, I can't just like sit back and just not do something with it. Um, and so like, to me, there is like a sense of responsibility to the field, to the science, to society, to be able to disseminate good information to folks who need it, who, I mean, especially now when you hear mm -hmm. about uh, this big anti-vaxxer movement, you hear all this stuff about um, some of the pseudoscience that's out there, some of the fault, just the stuff that you hear, you're just like, I just, where did you get that information? Let me give you some more information. Let me teach you how to find this information. Let me teach you something a little bit deeper than reading the headline and believing everything that's there and being mm -hmm. critical and skeptical of the world. I mean, I feel like Scott and I take a, uh, we, 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 we toe the line between cynicism and skepticism. I believe that we tend to be more skeptical than cynical, mm -hmm, but we yes. have moments where we can be cynical. But the idea of skepticism, the idea of there's no finish line for science, that idea of the, the, the society benefits from science. So like, let's get it out to people who need it. Um, that to me is a, is a value of mine. So I find it really for, reinforcing to connect with my value by doing this. I agree with all that. And also it's a way for me to like hang out with my friends. Um, yeah. so, you know, we, the, the whole team meet meets once a week and, um, Yo, Ali, I got you. and yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. and we, yeah, we, we meet once a week online and we get to like ch chat and then we get to record an episode and we get to have fun. And every week Shane and I will spend like almost a solid hour talking about music and movies that we like and stuff uh, before we yeah. record. And Always. 
end up burning through a ton of our recording time by <laughs> but bullshitting with each other. We always aim to record two every Sunday, and sometimes it doesn't work because we spend so much time just joking and laughing and talking about fun stuff. So, like, we almost always end up recording one just because we end up running out of time. Yeah. By the way, Shane, is that a bass in the back that I'm seeing? <laughs> yeah, it's a, there's a couple of them. There's a couple of them. Yeah, I'm an old, like, uh, like uh, yeah, old, old punk dude playing in bands, played bands for 20 years. So it's just like, I couldn't, I couldn't not have that in my office. So. Wow. What about you, Scott? Any instruments? Yeah, I actually, um, I also was in some punk and metal bands. Um, I played drums uh, <laughs> and got very good at it actually for a while because that was pretty much all I did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and like going up through high school, like my, I, was, I grew up in a pretty rural space and uh, my big fun thing to do was play drums. So I'd play for four or six hours a day. And so um, I, got, I got pretty good pretty quickly and, uh, and then had a lot of fun with the bands I was in, went on a couple tours and whatnot and put out a couple albums. And, uh, and so mostly drums after I couldn't really play music anymore because I was living in apartments and like rented houses and small neighborhoods. I, um, and drums are notoriously loud. I started, uh, I picked up, I bought myself a couple of acoustic guitars and have tried to teach myself guitar a little bit. I'm very bad at it, but I can play a chord here and there. <laughs> you know, and I think, I think that, I think that experience too, like just being in punk bands and stuff like that has really colored our experience as like being pretty cavalier with how we approach this. Like we are um, very DIY, uh, <laughs> very much so like uh, we make this work. We very much so believe in our values and do what we want. And I think that's like one of the fun things about being on a podcast is like, you know, we come from this background where it's like unabashedly we were ourselves, right? You, you come from this like punk yeah. rock community where it's like unabashedly you are already bucking the norm. Uh, and as scientists, we have the ability to kind of do that in a creative way, um, in a fun way, and in an outlet that is not the linear path to doing science or doing good science, right? Like that whole SciComm piece is, is very much so a DIY, do it yourself, let's get this out there um, and let's get kind of like, you know, shake the foundations of, of academia and stuff. And so that's a lot of what, I mean, we have that ethos in us somewhere. We don't maybe verbalize that all the time, but like that's, that's a big part of what colors the experience and the, and the structure of the podcast, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you guys are pretty self-motivated. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it. <laughs> like, yeah, I just picked up this instrument and that instrument. I'll start a podcast. I also got my PhD also. Yeah, I worked this job. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> a lot of people are just like, okay, I wake up. What am I going to do at all today? <laughs> and you guys have like five different things you want to do. So um, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> why, well, yeah, why do we procrastinate? And then bigger than why should we do what we do is like, what should we do? <laughs> what should it's we funny, do with our time? Mm-hmm. It's funny because I say I'll sometimes, definitely... uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Said. No, I was just saying, I'll definitely like to know the answer for that because I'm a big procrastinator myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, as, as far as the, like, just doing stuff, I, I've said before, I'm like, I don't remember what it feels like to be bored. I'm not sure that I could be, like, for me, being bored is when I have to wait in line and I can't be reading or listening to a podcast or something because I don't have my headphones. And I'm just like, oh, what a waste of time. This <laughs> yeah, is. What a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, <laughs> um, I mean, there's just, I, maybe I'm just a really ambitious guy, but I, I've definitely, like, I have all of these things that I feel like I would like to try and do and be good at and so um and if you, if you listen to the board games episode i play and love love and so like i've designed a few of my own board games it's like when you know when i'm not doing a bunch of other things that i've already committed to doing then i'll, I'll sit down and I'll, like work on designing a board game or i'll play a board game or i actually keep usually about five sets of different instructions for board games in my backpack so that if i'm somewhere and i can just sit down and read through the instructions and learn a board game while i'm waiting for something to happen <laughs> that i'll sit there and do that and so um that's i don't know like there's so many things in the world that one could do that it's hard for me to imagine not wanting to do anything. Um, and so, and I, I, maybe that just comes from like, I've constantly been engaged with activities of various sorts. And, you know, it's like, I actually have hundred things on the back burner. It was like, if everything in my life stopped working right now and I couldn't do the things that I normally do, what would I do next? And I already have that list. Um, and so, as far as procrastinating goes, that one is actually pretty straightforward. That's real straightforward learning history. It is when, when you don't have to do something because there's not an immediate deadline um, or you have, you have to do something but the deadline's fairly far out, you could do all the things that have an immediate reward in the interim and there's no consequence for not doing the thing that you have to do later. 
And so all the, there's all the reinforcement and all the reward for putting things off because it's just work that you don't, don't want to do. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's, if you get it, if you were to sit down and work on it at the time that you don't have to sit down and work on it, well, then you're missing out doing things that you would rather be doing anyway. So um, mostly what happens is that people learn how far they can get away with pushing things out into the future. And then they just, they will continue to push that envelope of like, I'm going to do this. You know, these are the people who are like, my, my flight leaves in 15 minutes. I haven't packed yet, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, you know, they're, <laughs> they're the kind of people who are like, they figure out ways of like, I can keep doing other things that I'd rather be doing or that I have to do. And last minute and it'll still work for me most of the time. Um, and yeah, alternatively, those people who don't procrastinate, who are like the, the real go-getters, are people who they figure out, and this is actually my, my, my roommate, Val, from when I, um, uh, my friend who, like I said, is in Tor uh, Toronto now, um, he was kind of the anti-procrastinator. His big thing was like, do all the stuff I got to do so that I can just laze around doing nothing. And so like, as soon as he got something, he would just commit all his time to getting it done and then be like, ah, oh, sweet, I can just chill and watch hockey. And like, that was his thing. Um, and so I was a little inspired by him to do a little <laughs> bit more of that sort of thing. Um, and try and get on top of my stuff. But anyway, I, I've talked for too long. Shane, go ahead. I was just say, I, I, I'm a procrastinator myself. Like it, it is, it is uh, one of those things that uh, I've tried to analyze myself. And again, it just comes back to, I figured it out. Like it's always worked for me. Like, uh, you know, I used to, I, every, every now and again on my time hop, um, I get to relive my journey through my, my undergrad and my grad school programs. And one of my favorite ones was, it was posted at 1150. And it was, it, it, I just posted on Facebook and it said, um, I have a paper due in 10 minutes. Uh, and it was, I haven't started it yet. And it's supposed to be 10 pages. Wish me luck. And uh, so, but I would, but that's the problem. It's like, I would do that. I would get it in and I would get it 100% on this paper. So it's like, it always worked for me. And, and I think that was one of those things that it specifically goes to learning history. I'll wait till the last minute. I'll get it done. And we figured out too, I think we did, because we talked about procrastination on an episode one time. And it was like, sometimes people, they, they think they work better under pressure and they actually don't. They make more errors and they, they actually cause more problems for themselves when they procrastinate when they're under pressure. Um, but again, it's one of those things like it just works for you. You know, you delay the work as long as you can. You still get the payoff of doing the work in a, in a, in a quick manner. You still, it just works. And uh, yeah, it's just a matter of figuring out what those, what works for you in that and, and figuring out how to kind of change that a little bit. What do you do when it, it stops working for you? That too. Like, what, what, what do I do when it doesn't work for me? I haven't had that issue. <laughs> 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 I mean, like, I, honestly, I haven't had that issue. I've been better about it. So I will say this is like kind of going back to, to Scott's comment about being bored. One thing that I've learned is like, I don't get bored either because everything that I do has a purpose and every, and there's always like a movement forward, even like self-care stuff. Like something that happens is like people will put off their own self-care and like their own well-being for things. And what ends up happening is like, if you focus like, and you kind of identify and reframe all of the behavior that you engage in to be working towards something, you're never bored. Like um, I, I hear all the time people feel guilty for like sitting and watching TV. It's like, I love every now and again, just sitting and watching a show because like that's moving me towards getting back to like some kind of baseline, some kind of stress-free space to be able to do better work later. So a lot of it's like kind of reframing that. And so like, why am I putting stuff off? I'm putting stuff off because I don't want to do it. It's not going to bring me joy right now and I can get it done later, but I will get it done and it will move towards that purpose. But right now there's a, another thing that has more purpose and has more meaning. So, um, you know, there's a lot of those conflicting variables that go and in, go into that. But um, yeah, I haven't had an issue where it hasn't worked. I mean, I think of like treatment plan revisions. I sometimes, I don't, I try not to wait till last minute for those because I know that they relies on other people. Um, so that's probably what I would say too, is like when it comes to my procrastination, if it doesn't impact somebody else directly, I will, I will wait until the very last minute. But if it does impact other people, I'm like, I try to get that done soon because I don't like to be an inconvenience for anybody. Yeah, most, I think a lot of people feel similarly about where, where they procrastinate is where it's sort of self-relevant in a way. But I was, I was gonna say one more thing is that there's, there is not an, there's, there's a significant thing that happens that's sort of a general thing, which is that people who get done stuff done early and get it done quickly, oftentimes people come to them to do more work. So it's like you actually get the reverse effect of like, if you put it off, then you get to do things that 
get the reward of having completed the thing you had to complete anyway. And if you get it done right away, then you actually end up having to just do more work and sort of the, you know, you reward work with more work. And so people sort of learn like, well, I could just not do that work, mm. keep my nice steady baseline of the amount of work I do have to do. And then procrastination becomes a way of avoiding excess obligation. And so um, I think there's like, there's quite a few angles going on in that, that force people to be good procrastinators. And, um, <laughs> and I, and I think that if we were to look at more, uh, criterion-based performance from our employees, uh, then we would see a little less of that. And actually, when I was um, in my doc program, my stipend um, work that I had to do was have this much time day to get these tasks done. And as soon as you're done, you're done for the day. And so I would work my face off for like six straight hours and skip my lunch so that I could go home at two in the afternoon and be done with all my work for the day. And, um, and that, that I think was a, a clever way to go about um, getting a ton of work out of people really efficiently. No, Scott. <laughs> no, you got to work 40 hours a week, five days a week, <laughs> 10 hour days with a half an hour coffee break. That's Wasn't there like there recently, there was something that came out. This is something that we would, we should probably touch on, on like the podcast sometimes, Scott is like doing a 40 hour work week and looking at that. Oh, um, yeah. That would be so easy. Like that's how it goes. Like, just so you know, like there will be a document created for like a 40 hour work week and we'll do that. And that's, that's a new topic that we'll get to eventually. But there was something that came out that said that like folks working from home four days a week instead of five were found to be more productive pretty recently like (laughs) and i mean that's that's a loose statistic obviously but like there was but there are some studies that show like 40 hours a week does not equate to productivity like and so it's really interesting to see that piece and how that works and and really kind of how we could be better humans if we just looked at a little bit of science there's that book uh sin of wages and i'm forgetting the author right now but the author says, if you pay people for their time, what you get is their time. You don't get their work, you get their time. And <laughs> you don't have that time, but you definitely get their time. Uh, if you pay people for their work, you'll get their work. Um, and so I, I like that. I thought that was always really clever. So more like commission-based type of uh, payment, stuff like that. Say that one more time. Uh, basically, uh, what I meant was, what I was saying was uh, more like commission-based payments and stuff instead right. of just salary for their time exactly right yep yep that's exactly right. right now i mean there are definitely going to be some types of jobs that are they require you to be at certain places at certain times or you know just be available at uh, for certain things um and and that would obviously look a little different so it's really just a matter of being strategic and where you people uh how you people to influence uh the kind of work that you get out of them and so yeah as you said like if you are paying people on commission to get things done then like you will see them ramp up their efforts to get the money that is going to produce the most amount of commission um most of the time you know and so uh or, or there's also something called piecemeal work which is where people only get paid for the things that they produce and in which case uh there there are factories i know of that exist that do piecemeal pay and people will show up well before the doors open and they will work without taking any breaks because they get paid for every piece of like machinery that they produce. And so the faster that they that they make, they can control their hours and the, the managers do very little because all they have to do is just monitor that the stuff was up to quota and that it got produced at all. And then they can sign off on it and say, you earned this much money today. And so some people might say like, oh, I don't really need to, I don't really feel like coming in and they just won't. The, the manager's like, no, you know, whatever, you know, this is your money. So you, you make what you make. And so there's, there's various ways of structuring these payment systems, but yeah, commission is one way to get after it. Um, amazing. You guys, we're kind of running out of time here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've talked about all the different things. I mean, I want to, I mean, there's a lot we haven't talked about. Why do we uh, brush our teeth? Why do we walk (laughs) outside? Why do we drink water? All these things. If you want to learn more, you guys have to listen to the podcast, right? (laughs) Why we do what we do, right? We'll link Uh, that below. All right. I just want to end it with one one last question here. Man, something I was thinking about. So I brought this up earlier, but I'll say it again. It's, um, so you guys know like what, you want to do for some reason you wake up you're like yeah today i want to do this podcast today i want to read this book today i want to play this instrument <laughs> all right so for people who don't know what they want to do what should we do like what do people do with their lives yeah <laughs> that's a great question mm-hmm. um i would say contact your reinforcers do mm-hmm. do what makes you feel good 
as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. Um, and that could be any number of things. Um, you know, I, I find a lot of joy in reading. That is something that works for me. Um, but not just reading books that are part of my field, reading books that are not part of my field, uh, reading things that are just, there's no obligation to do it. It's just doing it. Um, you know, so I, a big thing that I would say is like, you know, for folks that are struggling with what to do, um, I heard a quote one time that was like, the infinite, the, the, the universe is infinite and there are infinite things to learn. You can't be bored. And if you don't, if you can't find something to do, the universe in your head is also infinite. Your imagination is this infinite thing. So you, you don't get to be bored. And, um, that kind of stuck with me. It was like, hey, if, you're like this, intense. if you're watching this, you don't get to be bored. <laughs> check out I mean, more it podcasts. Sounds intense, but like, but like, you know, honestly, like one of the, yeah, check out more podcasts, fill, fill your ear holes with good noise. Um, but like Spotify makes it so easy to find music. The amount of books that are out there that you can read on stuff that you like. I, one thing I learned, and this is probably one of the most important things for folks who like to read, don't read bad books. If you don't like a book, stop reading. <laughs> like, why do you force yourself through a book that you don't like? Stop it. Like, just stop reading that book. And so that's the kind of stuff that like, just those little things, mm -hmm. like just move on from things that don't bring you joy or don't, don't they, they're not reinforcers for you. That's Amazing. great. Yeah, I think um, uh, we, this is actually very relevant. We, we work with a lot of learners uh, and students who it's really hard to find something that they are motivated by. And so um, it's the, the trick, I don't know if it's really a trick, the most successful strategy that we have found so far is to just get them exposure to as many different things as possible until we find something that resonates with them and to the point that they're willing to uh, pursue it on their own. And so uh, some, for some people, uh, like we have some kids who like all they want to do in the world is watch 25 hours of YouTube a day. And um, I know that's more hours than there are in a day, but that's <laughs> how much they want to watch YouTube. And how do I uh, for them, it's hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what they want to do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, but you know, what we did is we just then f figured out, okay, how, how can we make this so that the incentive is to get you more access to YouTube? Because you can't do that all day, but maybe we can set aside a, a chunk of time where you're uninterrupted and that sort of thing. So, um, but really it is just about finding uh, as exposure to as many things as possible until you find something that you're interested in. And for some people that'll change, like you'll pursue something for a little while and then really feel like this really doesn't feel like this is doing much for me anymore. And that's totally okay. And I think there's sort of to Shane's point is uh, you don't necessarily have to commit uh, you know, engagement with something ends up not really paying out later, like change your mind. There are, mm -hmm. there are nine, 80 year old and 90 year old people who find a new hobby and they like, just go after it. And that's great. Like, I love that. So mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I, it's just <laughs> get out there and find what you can check out books, check out podcasts, go on YouTube, go to the theaters, you know, hang out with people when it's safe to do so. Don't go to theaters right now. Go when it's safe, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, uh, get, get exposure to things so that you can find stuff that you like play board games. That'd be my final one. <laughs> Amazing. You guys, much pleasure having you on the show. Real honor. Thank you. Honestly, yeah, we've learned so much. And uh, I'm looking forward to check out more episodes from your show. So keep it up. Um, Appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. So we'll link that below. Is there anything else you guys want to say before we wrap up here? Or shout out or? No. <laughs> just thank you again for having us really honestly like we, we really appreciate it like it's always it's always really great to connect with folks and, and and share information and just just have good conversations so we appreciate you doing that and 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 we're really stoked to be able to connect with you yeah 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 we're flattered for the invitation i think um i would leave people the advice of uh be kind to one another um even people that you that are pissing you off right now um you treat them with kindness <laughs> they'll treat you with kindness back so um be be nice and go out in the world well from your safety of your home do nice things to for people <laughs> amazing yeah if uh, everyone loves each other the world would be a better place it would be. that i'm signing out see y'all <laughs>